Good morning. It's good to be back. I've been uh, away for a couple weeks and uh, enjoy worshiping here. The, uh, this, uh, today is going to be our last summer psalm. This summer we've been working through the, the psalms uh, one after another and uh, you got to hear uh, Elder Tim Durrett preach two weeks ago and John Dunning last week and Travis, we don't let him preach unless he cuts his hair, so he hadn't gotten to preach this summer. Um, but this will be our, our last one, and to be honest, I'm not sure what the text is next week, which is odd. I don't think we've ever run into that situation, but uh, we'll figure it out here in the next day or two. And we know what's going to happen for the next six months after that, but uh, anyway, we'll see. So uh, today, though, we are in Psalm 3. Uh, so if you will, take your, your Bible and open up to Psalm 3. Uh, so you can follow along here in a moment when we read it. Now, Psalm 3 is, is interesting. This is the first time that the word psalm actually shows up in, in the Psalter. And it's translated from this, this Hebrew word, uh, mizmor, which is derived from another Hebrew word that, that really means instrumental music. Um, so in my studies, I, I find this definition. The, the word for the, in the title here is actually uh, defined as a poem to be sung to musical accompaniment. And you might wonder, then, why do we use the word psalm if the word is mismore, right? Uh, and that the reason is that that's the, the Greek equivalent. And so uh, uh, that it's a Greek word that very specifically means to, to strike something, uh, to strike an instrument. Like when Katie's playing the piano or Nicola, they are striking those keys to create this musical sound. So uh, that's where these terms come from. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and read it right now. And uh, We'll read these eight verses, and then we're going to seek to better understand the passage, uh, and we're going to seek to put this into practice in our lives in really applicable ways. So uh, Psalm 3, verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. O Lord, we have read of the wonderful Garden of Eden, but we live in a world corrupted by sin. We ourselves contribute to that sinful world when we hurt others with our words, with our selfishness, many other ways. Our days are often filled, Lord, with fears, fears of disease, fear of poverty, fear of accidents, fear of enemies who might harm our bodies, our loved ones, our reputations. But Lord, here we learn that you are a shield. Soften our hearts today, enlighten our minds, give us understanding and faith to believe what is true this morning. Lord, may this preaching bring clarity to your word. May it bring a sense of understanding of your word this morning to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So not only is 
Psalm 3, the first time we see the word psalm actually used, it's also the, the first time that there is a, an, a, a title included with a psalm by the author of the psalm. And in, in this case, we see real quick, it gives the title, or the title gives the, the setting, it gives the context of the psalm. You know, uh, all these psalms weren't written in a vacuum, right? Um, and one of the beautiful things here is you actually get to see what the context is. It says, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son... And so this is written by King David, and in the later stages of his life, he has a, a grown son. Uh, David had many children, uh, and we tend to really like David, you know, particularly in our childhood. In all the children's Bibles, David is just this amazing person, but some of the things we learn when you really dig into Scripture is, is David was a pretty crummy father, if we're honest. Uh, his, his oldest son, Amnon, committed a, a terrible sin against his half-sister, and Absalom, the one we're talking about here today, uh, in his revenge actually murders his, his older brother. And, and in the moment, this, this angered David, his father, and yet David never did anything. No discipline, no punishment, nothing of that. And what we see over and over again is this fact that um, <clears throat> David wanted the love of his son. And he wanted the love of his son so badly that he refused to parent his son in the ways that he needed to. He refused to correct his son. And, and now here he finds himself later in life running in fear from his own son who seeks to take his life. The other side is that Absalom was actually quite beloved by the people of Israel. Um, they liked him for some of the reasons we even see in our culture today. And in 2 Sam 14.25, it tells us now, in all of Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. He was well liked by the people. And he sought to take the kingdom from his father. And so he gathered supporters slowly, slowly, slowly. And then we learn in 2 Samuel 15, 12 and 13 that the conspiracy grew strong. Sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? Uh, the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Their hearts have gone after them. They're, leaking, they're looking to follow him. They want to support him. They're, they're involved in this, this uh, conspiracy at this point. And so Absalom wanted power, and he wanted it now. And so this undisciplined son, with a massive support of soldiers, goes out and plans to kill his father. All this happens so incredibly suddenly that David has no plan of defense. He simply, in this depressed-like mode, wanders out the door and, and flees for his own life from, from Jerusalem. And then... Uh, this psalm is written then by, by David regarding this time. And, and, and while we've already admitted David is a, a crummy father by, by most, situa or by most uh, standards, he, he often made terrible choices in his life. You know that if you read much about him. What we see here is he is seeking the Lord. He is, as a sinner, seeking the Lord. And in that way, he is certainly a model for us when we feel threatened, when we face oppositions of all sorts in our lives. And so... Uh, the question is, you know, what do you do when your son wants to kill you? Hopefully you don't have to apply this specifically. Um, you know, what do you do when all the people you think are, love you and care for you have suddenly seemed to turn on you? And Psalm 3 is going to, we're going to look at this and we're going to see some answers here. So uh, verse 1 and 2 lay out the depths of the problem, which you already know because I've just explained the history of it to you a little bit. Uh, but those first two verses say this. They say, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. 
And that word many, you see, it's used many times, which I know is redundant, but uh, it shows us just how incredibly desperate David is in this moment. Many are my foes. Many are those rising up against me. Many, many are saying of my souls. And, and so David's foes were clear for him, right? It's real obvious for David who his foes were. These are the guys with the swords and the arrows who, who want to kill him. But, but who are your foes? Who are our foes? You know, they, is, there, is there someone on the PTO or in your group of friends who, who just seems out to get you? Is there someone at work who, <clears throat> who wants to just crush your reputation? You know, maybe your department feels like just open warfare, only in, instead of using swords and arrows, your, your enemy is using gossip and lies and manipulation of situations. You know, maybe your, your, foes is something, or your foe is something on a, a, a wider scale. You, you look at the news and you see the, the transgender policy in the public square and, and you fear what that might mean for your, your children. Maybe it's just the general freedom to, to live out your faith in, in the country that God has placed you in, you know, in the public square, or the threat of, of terrorism. Per, perhaps your foe is, is some besetting sin in your life that you knows there, that you're constantly fighting, that always seems around the corner to take you down again. You know, something like uh, alcohol or pornography addiction. You, you know what distresses you. You know it in your own heart. I don't know it. But, but for each of us, I want you to know that the, the hope that we see here in this psalm, Psalm 3, is the same for us as it is for David. And so when we read here in, in verse 3 that many say there is no salvation for him from God, this is certainly a physical salvation. His life is in danger. And yet the use of the term soul here is pretty significant. It, it tells us that the taunts of his enemies are such that they're also saying that this situation that you find yourself in, David, is so bad that God cannot or will not help you. It kind of hits because I've talked to people way too often in my life who, who feel that way about their own sin. Usually it's a because of the result of some sin in their life, you know, maybe it resulted in the death of someone or the injury of somebody, or, or just the vast quantity of their sin, or just the, the grossness of their sin. Always saying something along the lines of, you know, God might forgive you for your sin, but not me. You know, my, my sin's on another caliber. There is no forgiveness for me. And David's foes were wrong. Uh, and those voices in, in, in your mind, if, that's one of, if you're one of those people that thinks that way, you know, those voices are wrong also. There, there is salvation for you, and we're going to see that. We see this huge transition take place in verses 3 and 4 here. You see it uh, right, right after we've, we've seen what the many are saying, right? Here's what the many are saying, and then we come back, and there's this, 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 this is what's true about God. But regardless of what the many are saying, the text says, But you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried out loud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. That, that, sword, or that word, Selah, there, I know you're probably seeing that if you're wondering about it. It's just a, a pause in the text. There's actually a lot of unknownness about that word, but it's widely believed it's just a, a silent moment in the text. And, and so then the, the transition begins with, with that word that we've seen so often in Scripture, we saw in the book of Ephesians, we've seen it almost every place we've been, we've been that, that word but, right? There's so much hope found in that word but when we see it in Scripture. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You wonder why, why this sudden change all of a sudden? I mean, can you, can you see just the massive army that wants to kill him, and, and yet he has the statement, but, but you, O Lord? 
You see, you notice here that the first two verses, his attention is on the problem. He's, he's seeing the threat. He's seeing the fear. That's where his focus is on. That's all he can see at that moment. And, and yet here we see now David has turned his focus. And his eyes aren't looking at the problem. His eyes are looking at God himself. His eyes are, are focused on the Lord. And so he says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. That is a powerful statement. We say that out loud with me. We don't do this often. I know it's kind of weird. But, but it's something to actually hear this spoken out loud. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. Say that with me. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. Isn't that encouraging? You know, remember that phrase. Take that one with you. You you notice he didn't say a shield before me either, right? Or a shield behind me or a shield beside me. Rather, he says, you are a shield around me. He protects us from, from all sides. It's, it's like the, the force field that, that you'd put up when you were in your pretend world as a child, right? Surely you, you did this in your own childhood. Your, your brother fires about a thousand missiles at you, right? And, and you're like, you can't hit me. And, and, and he's like, yes, huh, I just hit you ten times. And, and, and you know, you know and, and the whole point is you can't because I have a force shield around me. You can't touch me. Why didn't we ever say, you know, I'm, I'm invincible? Maybe you did. I never crossed my mind. It's kind of this idea that, you know, even at a young age, I knew I'm not invincible. I'm going to need this force shield to protect me. And, and the idea here is, is that it's not that I am strong, but this idea is that there is something between me and you, and so you can't get to me. And if you can't get to me, you can't harm me. You ever visited uh, the Sunset Zoo and seen those hyenas there? Those beasts, those creepy animals? I don't care if you like them, they're creepy, they just are. Um, you know, the, the author Ernest Hemingway hated hyenas. It's one of those weird little facts about him. He, he actually referred to them as potential biter off of your face at night while you sleep. That was his <laughs> very accurate definition there. Um, well, the first time we were at Sunset Zoo, we, we noticed that, that their eyes, like these hyenas, would kind of drooly watch you when you'd walk by, and they would, they'd follow us wherever we'd go. And, you know, as a good father, I had the suggestion to my seven- and five-year-old children at the time, you know, hey, run back and forth, up and down, and see if he chases you. And sure enough, they chase you back and forth, just, uh, you know, looking at you, watching the whole time with those, those eyes that just kind of say, you know, I just want to get to you so I can just rip you to shreds. And, and it's kind of fun as a parent watching this happen. I know that's kind of weird, but... Uh, eventually, one of us finally saw the sign that said, basically, don't do what you're doing right now. <laughs> and, and we stopped. But the question was, like, why were we okay with this? You know, if I saw the hyena in the wild, I'd never, if we, let's run that way, away from them. And, and yet we felt safe doing this. Um, and, and the question is, are, are these beasts powerful enough to kill us? Yeah, pretty quick. Um, did they want to bite our face off? They didn't say so, but they sure looked like they wanted to bite her face off. Uh, and, 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 you know, the question, were we so tough that I think I could defend them if suddenly they were, like, on my children? Not even a little bit. Um, but we felt safe, and we were safe, because there's this huge fence between us and this hyena, uh, between this beast and our frail little children. We were safe because there was something between us and what sought to hurt us. God was that for David. Um, and he can be that force field. He can be that shield for his people. He, he stands invincible, surrounding us from all sides, from what threatens to harm us. And, and so we must seek the Lord's protection. 
you know, from foes of flesh and blood and, and foes who wish to lead us into sin. You know, in the, in the book of First Peter and <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 8, it, it tells us, you know, that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But, but how often do we pray and ask the Lord to be a shield for us? You know, the, the Lord is a shield for us, and, and, and the faith that, that has Jesus Christ as its object is a shield for us as well. That's, that's uh, uh, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the armor of God, and in verse 16, it employs us, you know, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There's this image again, right? That all that the Lord is for us stands between us and what seeks to bring harm. Verse 3 in our passage ends by informing us that God is the lifter of David's head. This is an image of of encouragement. You've probably seen this in a movie before. Some child is discouraged and looking down. And and that strong character of father or mother, you know, kind of lifts the face to look at them. And it's a, a statement of encouragement, you know, look up and be encouraged. Um, And notice at this point, it's not an encouragement because of what God has even done at this point. It's just the simple presence of God. It's just his presence. And then in verse 4, we learn that that David asks for God's help. He cries out to the Lord to protect, and, and God heard him. Christian, do you feel heard by God when you pray? I mean, do you really feel heard? You know, do, do you, or, or does it feel like maybe you're just talking to yourself or talking to the walls? You know, does the cat think you're talking to it instead? What does it, what does it feel like? You know, uh, and, and I asked this, you know, Laura and I have had many conversations on the phone at times when we're away from each other and, and the line will disconnect and one of us will just keep talking for way too long, actually. Um, way too long. And it's always frustrating when you realize there's no one there. Uh, every, everything we said was just spoken to a phone connected to nothing. Well, your prayers, Christians, are, are not using Sprint's network. No offense to Sprint. Uh, the line never disconnects. The words from your mind or your mouth are brought into the throne room of God, and they are heard. This is true. And you've got to know this is true, for, for our prayer life is strengthened. When we, when we just know the truth, the, the fact that God actually hears us when we pray to him, and one of the ways that we gain this confidence that the Lord hears us is, is just to keep a record of the prayers and, and, and how God answers it. I know some people go all out and they list everything. But even if you just do something, some of the prayers you make, some of the specific prayers you do over and over, you know, if you just keep a record of them, that way you can see what, what happens the way God answers it. I, you know, some of the most encouraging moments of, of, of my life and Laura's life have been when we've been able to see real clearly the way God answered a prayer. There's nothing really more encouraging to just the strength of our prayer life that way. Not, not, not always doing exactly what we ask for either, but, but doing something in response, usually something better than we even knew to ask for, because being heard is, is you know, more than just actually hearing the words. There's a response. There's an acknowledgement. Um, parents, you, you've seen this. I know you have. Um, you know, 15 minutes after you tell your children, you know, go get ready for bed, and, and then you walk in their room and, and they're playing with Legos and they're still in their clothes and their teeth aren't brushed and really nothing's been done and, and you're like, why are you not ready for bed? I told you to get ready for bed. And your kid's like, well, I didn't hear you. And you're like, all right, that's plausible except for you were looking me in the eye at the moment 
and you said okay, and you shook your head, yeah, how could you not have heard me? And, I, and you know, that's, that's kind of that thing, when, when, when you've been heard, there's actually a response to it, and, and to be fair to my children, they also say things to me that I don't reconcile, like, you said, I told you you could have ice cream for breakfast? That does not, that does kind of sound like me, so yeah, I probably did. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know, like, you just, to be heard, you know, God not only hears the information, and you need to know this, Christian, he not only hears the information, but, but he considers our words, he knows our hearts, he knows our situation, he considers how to respond, and then he does answer. In one way or another, the Lord answers his people. In the book of, of, uh, of Samuel, there's a woman named Hannah, and Hannah desired to have a child, and she couldn't have a child. She struggled with infertility, and, and, and she goes to the Lord, uh, goes to the temple of the Lord, and, and she prays to the Lord for a, for a child. And, and God hears her prayer, and he answered her, and she conceives and, and has a, a son with her husband, a child, and, and she names their, their son Samuel, which is hugely significant because Samuel actually means God has heard, Right? God has heard and actually answered in that way. And, and David here in Psalm 3 is, is praising the Lord because not only did God hear his cry, but he, but he responds, right? That, that he cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard him. Brothers and sisters, we can trust that the Lord hears us when we pray, when we go to him in prayer. And, and so let us not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, you know, let us... Let our, uh, you know, with thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God. Pray more. Ask for the help you need, the protection you need. And now, look at verse 5 with me. I love this verse. I used to, when I was younger, just blow past this verse as nothing. Uh, I, you know, it's just kind of unexpected in this beautiful way. It says this, uh, verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Um, would you go ahead and raise your hand if, if you laid down and slept last night? How many of you did that? Okay, hopefully all of you got your hand up, but a few of you might not have. Um, okay, great. Um, and then go ahead and raise your hand if you also awoke this morning. Good. Wake Travis up so he can raise his hand. Um, did it occur to you this morning, though, when you woke up that God sustained you through the night? Did it cross your mind? It, it didn't mind. Now, you know, not until I actually am looking at this again, and I even had the benefit of looking at this all week long, and, and yet still waking up and not even thinking, wow, God sustained me through the night. Um, that word sustain means to, to hold up. It's, it's this strength outside of you that supports, and, and uh, you know, it's a strength from outside of you. Like um, when an athlete's an injured, injured in, an, uh, in sports, you see that. His friends come alongside him, and they put his arms around him, and they sustain him uh, as they carry him off the field. Um, that's the idea here. And, and, and David Murray in his book Reset says, when and how long we sleep makes a huge statement about who we are and what we believe about ourselves and God. See, when we lay down and sleep, we simply cannot defend ourselves. At, at that moment, you stop ruling your life, even on little ways, right? Even the ways you think you rule your life. We, we, we can't even make ourselves to breathe. There's a trust that God's going to make my body continue to breathe. God sustains us when we do that. He gives us rest. He, he keeps our hearts beating. He keeps our lungs breathing, our enemies at bay. He, he keeps the world spinning. And you wake up and the earth's still spinning, right? God sustained David through the night from his enemies. 
365 times a year, he sustains you and I while we rest as well. We're so used to to sleeping and waking sometimes, used to the, the safety outside of our doors, that we just kind of forget how great it is to be woken up in the morning and be alive. That's not to say that death is some terrible thing for the Christian, but life is certainly a gift of the Lord for us. This day is a gift. A day of peace in your life is just a gift of the Lord. Uh, And and the way that God sustains us through the night can and should be a way that builds our confidence that God can and will sustain us when we face the dangers of life. When we face foes at work, when we face the temptation of sin and all other threats that seek to bring us harm. And, and, And so we can sleep for the simple fact that God doesn't need to, right? That's what Psalm 121.4 tells us. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God has no need of sleep. He is self-sustained. And you and I, we are always God-sustained. And so it is a beautiful gift that we get to sleep. As much as we hate to do it usually. Um, anyway, there's this, this online devotional thing that I read every morning. And it has been a great encouragement to me. Every morning in the... The prayer begins with these words. It says, Lord God Almighty and Everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And I just love it that that it begins this day with this gratefulness uh, to God for sustaining us during the night. And then and, and, uh, the same thing, it ends each day, you know, ending each day by trusting the Lord as you fall into that restful slumber that he is going to sustain you through the night. Uh, verse 6 highlights David's confidence and the protection. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And he's reminding himself of the the fear he need not have because of God. And he need not fear these thousands of enemies who seek him harm. You and I, I know, you probably don't have a thousand enemies waiting outside your door ready to get you. But uh, we might say it different. You know, I, I I will not be afraid of the medical bills. I will not be afraid of the attacks on my reputations. You know, whatever it is that, that makes us anxious is the way we might say the same thing confidently to the Lord as we trust him. Uh, and then in verse, in se- verse 7, his confidence overflows into this wonderful just battle cry uh, to the Lord. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. That's a very specific prayer. He, he's asking God to save him, and he's asking God to crush his enemies. And I know that sounds harsh, right? Uh, it sounds harsh because it is harsh. He's asking him to break the teeth of the wicked. And what he means is, God, make them no longer dangerous. Make them no longer able to harm us, harm me. Uh, you know, the hyenas in the zoo again. You take the teeth out of those things' mouths, very dangerous animal, that different situation, you know. Um, what are they going to do? Are they going to gum us to death? Like, w- suddenly this creepy you know, beast becomes no fear at all. And that's kind of the prayer here, you know, take away whatever they have that can harm us, remove it from them. And the first word then that we see here 
in this passage, that word arise, it's, it's not by mistake that David here, right in the psalm, uses it. It's a word that was familiar to everyone in Israel because uh, this was what was said and what began when the Ark of the Covenant of God, his presence, went out before them in battle for them. Uh, when it would go out, Moses would begin this by saying, Arise, O Lord, just like in our passage, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And so he is asking God to fight for him, and they were asking God to fight for them, and God did. Uh, and it worked like this, okay? So you're wondering, what ends up happening in this, right? Um, Absalom ends up trusting bad advice from his counselors, uh, and David's army ends up scoring a major victory. One of the things that resulted from this was, uh, was the death of Absalom. Uh, my son Beckham tells me, yeah, that was really cool because he has this graphic Bible that shows Absalom hanging from a tree with spears through him or arrows through him. Um, and, and he thinks it's cool. David did not think it was that cool. Um, his heart is absolutely broken that his son has died in this battle. Absolutely broken because he loves his son. And yet, the threat that was against David is extinguished in this. David returns back to Jerusalem. David goes back to, to ruling the people of God in the way that he was called to do. Uh, and so all this brings us to the last verse, verse 8. Uh, and earlier we said this, right? Earlier I said, no matter how terrible your sins have been, uh, that the Lord can give you salvation and he can redeem you. And the reason the Lord can give you salvation, the reason he can redeem you is, is what we see here in verse 8. You see it? It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing beyond your people. David is delivered because the Lord has done it. Uh, you and I, we are sinners. And if our faith is in Jesus Christ, if we have been redeemed from the wrath of God that we have rightly deserved, it's because the Lord himself has done it for us. It's because Jesus laid down his life on the cross, and it's because the Holy Spirit has applied his sacrifice to us, and because God has changed our hearts so that we will believe, so that we will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is a good, good thing, people. Because if it didn't belong to the Lord, none of us would be saved. That's the great proclamation we are going to make in eternity also. In the book of Revelation, you get this picture of, of the church in the future, right? At the return of Christ. And, and in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, uh, it reads this. It says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's about ultimate salvation. That's about our eternal salvation. But we must remember that the Lord is a shield for us today as well, in your daily life in smaller ways. David cried out to the Lord to be a shield, and the Lord responded by being a shield for him, giving him the victory. We, too, need to learn to, to cry out to the Lord in prayer to ask him to be a, a shield for us. You know, when, when temptation comes seeking you in your life, and I know it does one way or another, when, when gossips spew false accusations about you in work or school or wherever it might be, whatever form your foe may take, you, you need to know that your Heavenly Father can be a shield around you. And, and that if your faith is in Jesus, then... He already has put up a shield that will protect, preserve, 
um, and persevere you until the end. When he finally crushes his enemies, when he finally crushes our enemies under his feet, and we will rest in peace with our God and our King forever. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord cares about you as his people. Seek him, trust him, rest in him. Let's pray. Oh God, we lay down at night and we sleep, and you keep our hearts beating. You keep our lungs breathing, the food in our bellies continue to digest. Our smaller injuries go about healing. And then in the morning we awake because you have sustained us through the night. Thank you. God, make your people more aware of your works like this so that we might pour out thankfulness and gratitude to you alone who are worthy of it. And Lord, may we find confidence in the truth that you stand as a shield of protection around us. Teach us to cry out for your help and to know that you hear us. Even as you now hear this prayer, Lord, teach us to know that that our words are heard by you, received by you, considered by you, that you care about us. And in your love, you, you do hear us and respond. It's in Jesus' holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.